You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Onyx Hunt. Bringing you the best GPS mapping software directly to your smartphone or desktop, Onyx offers you the ability to see property boundaries, mark waypoints, track your location, and so much more. Visit onyxmaps.com or you can download it directly from your app store today. Save 20% off of your purchase by using the code NATION20 at checkout. That's capital N NATION followed by the number 20. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. All right, guys, welcome back. Adam here. Matt is here. And we are excited to uh, get back. You know, we this is podcast number two for the week. Could be number one, depending on how you're yeah, listening to it. Yeah, um, We've been a long time without Matt and I just sitting we, down recording we, a we've podcast. We've been a little muffled. <laughs> yeah. We've but, had guests on. You guys wonder why we don't have many guests on. It's because... There's a whole to, lot of stuff I got we stuff want to say. <laughs> we go in the field every single week, multiple times a week yeah. to to clients' properties across the country, and it's like every time we go, there's oh, there's a topic. Yeah, it's like and oh, then, we could do, we could do this. And we, so it's you funny because we have a list of like thirty different podcast ideas that we never get to Cause because like I we saw this. Have one, yes. I saw this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's for oh. rainy day podcast. I yeah. guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and you know, for for us, we we see these things going on and. We see these different, like, uh, we, we make these observations when we're on clients' properties, and it's like, okay, this is this is what this guy's doing, and we'll check in with each other. Okay, you're in Ohio. I'm in wherever. You're in Kansas. I'm in Oklahoma. What did your place look like? Yep. Oh, it, it was this. There's the ever-growing theme that this is the invasive species he was dealing with. This is the invasive species he was dealing with. And you go in. Because of because of the number of, of properties and, and just geographically where we've been, where I grew up, where you grew up is different, but you go in knowing and expecting to see it. So like you're already on guard when you go to Ohio and you're like, I'm going to see this. Where It's not yeah. a question necessarily of, am I going to find it? It's where is it at? How bad is the, how <laughs> yeah. bad is it? Yeah. How much time... Am I going to break his heart or am yeah. I gonna, just going to crush it? Is he <laughs> going to get to actually implement some really good work in the next year or two? Or is he going to have to spend the next year or two getting back, getting rid of this junk? Yeah. Getting getting to the point in which he can begin to manage native species. And that, honestly, it's it's tough news to deliver. 
And I know people have like way more important jobs than us that like deliver bad news every day. I get that. Yeah, first world problems. <laughs> yeah. We had to tell him what plants was growing yeah. on his farm. Yeah. But it's yeah. like I still hate to do it because I know that really everyone wants to be going and crop tree releasing whatever or yeah. or, edge or implementing feather. yeah edge feather implementing um, some diverse native grasses and forbs on the property. But it's like, we can't do that until we fix this problem. Then you're going to be a couple years out. So you're delaying the native, um, like you've got three years to wait for a, a stand of natives. Like, dude, you're probably five years out from that. Because yeah. it's going to take two years for us to get it to that point where we can even start. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. But that's the, the, if you don't do it, then you're never going to have that. Like you're sitting yep. here and spin your wheels. But it is what it is. And so so for that conversations that we have and what we see is we have to talk about invasive species and we have to address them. We can't yeah. we can't just let it continue on that like there's there's like a no management thing as like an option. And we're not saying this in um we're saying this is fact, as in science and science based. Yeah. Um, and from a landscape of just a land ethic thing too. Mm-hmm. This is not in in response to anything. This is just we have to have good quality information to help guide again the wise use of natural resources and land if we want to yield the best results for that said land. Yes. If, yes. If we it's- own land, it's our responsibility to manage it and make it as healthy as it can be. That's yes. a, that's like the duty. I don't think people realize that. Like when you sign over a deed or you're, you're like closing <laughs> on a contract. needing to make payments. Yeah, besides You need that, to make sure yeah. you're doing the right thing. Exactly. It's like, yeah, you have to. And, and by putting, let's say, invasive species control or management on a back burner or not even have it on your plate at all, that's not that's not cool. Like that's not, that's not, that's not an answer. That's not a solution. That's the problem. Like that's why we're here. That's, that's why we're dealing with it at the capacity, at the rate, at the prevalence that we're are right now is because it's been like, Oh, it's okay. It's a naturalized plant now. It's not. Yeah. It's never going to be. And we should address that invasive species isn't a species that has aggressive tendencies. Invasive non-native. You're, you're yeah, saying. yeah, yeah. Invasive non-natives. Because there are some non-natives that are used in applications like food plots or cattle farming that aren't typically. You could. You, they're not categorized as invasive. Right. Because they're adapted to, or people have adapted them to part of the landscape. Well, they just don't grow. Like aggressive, aggressively, and they're and not take gonna, over things. They're not going to throw a seed over in the woodlot, and twenty years later, that entire understory of the woodlot yeah. is filled with Correct. said plant. <clears throat> Correct. And and so that's where there is a difference. We're talking about non-native invasive species. Most of these are going to be um, a recognized invasive species by the government, by yeah. NRCS or USDA, and there's going to be a list for your region most likely that says these are the ones that are most Prevalent. typical yep. here, and they should be removed as soon as possible. And and there are states, correct me if I'm wrong, there are states who are fining folks. Kansas. For, yeah. Who are, who are, they're fining them for not managing the invasive species on yeah. their property. Yeah, and I have mixed reviews on that as far as, you sure. know, 
Like not to get I, political I, or anything. Not to be political, but right. the government can <laughs> get their hands out of my stuff, you know? Yeah. And but at the same time, if if you have a neighbor, just any any listener right now, if you're finding yourself I want you to clear the mechanism, clear your mind and find yourself going, okay, regardless of what's going on, if my neighbor's doing something that affects me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like that. In a negative way. In a negative way. Or if, affects the health of your landscape that whatever. you're managing. I, I, I right. run a, a – I've got a kid's camp or I've got this outdoor retreat and neighbor upstream's dumping pollution or oil. Oil into the stream that affects that me. Poison. <laughs> that poison. <laughs> Listen to the other podcasts this week. Hear that word used. Um, it, that that affects me. And from a natural resource, a natural resource standpoint, if I'm trying to manage for wildlife, and my neighbor decides, you know what, he's going to start growing bread for pear seedlings. There's a good chance he's going to affect me. Yes. And that's where invasive species come into play for me. Is yes. There are some places, and yes, the government introduced a lot of them yeah. to, to, to fill a void, but at least they're smart enough now to realize that, whoops, we messed up. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll do cost share to get them removed. Yes, yes. I don't think it's at any place where we should sit back and say, you know what? It ain't that bad. <laughs> yeah. What's I'm, I'm thinking of like the the Monty Python scene where it's like it's only a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah. It's like, bro, your old field is overrun with, with invasive non-native yeah. species: Bradford pear, autumn olive, bush honeysuckle, Japanese honeysuckle, Cerisa lespedeza. The <laughs> list goes on and on and on. But we see that time and time and time again, and it's like. It's not a flesh wound anymore. Yeah. It's it's something that like it's even more critical at this time frame that we have to be able to do something and get ahead of it because uh, well, I kind of go back to the other podcast we talked about. Stop what you're doing and think about this. If you don't do anything for 5 years, what is it going to be? Yeah. What well, you tell me what is it going to be because I can guarantee you that it if ain't you going to be a big buck place. <laughs> if you have an invasive non-native plant or or multiple growing in a given area and you're not doing anything and it's like an old field successional place that's not just complete complete closed canopy it's probably going in a direction of more heavily dominated invasive species yep well for example let's go back to that kansas deal just real quick so we can close that chapter close that little scenario so in the state of kansas if if you have a neighbor who is infested with cerisa lespedeza yep. and he he planted it for goats who cares how it got there but yep. there's cerisa there and it's not on your farm but over time you start noticing your boundary being affected with mm-hmm. more cerisa lespedeza and you're controlling it you're fighting a battle that is going to always be there because you can't get to the root of the problem yeah you can call up turning men they come give him a warning tell him that there's a problem he needs to be controlling it and if he doesn't do that they could put a lien on his property so if he if he decide or fine him right um and if he doesn't pay the fine then he could get the lien on his property that's how it works now it Mm -hmm. sounds like wow government's really getting in over there or getting overstepping the boundary right but at the same time that's how much I hate invasive species, and it kind of well, makes me go, "Well, good for Kansas." There's well, one way of making some money. It's not only it's not only that, but it's <clears> like 
that's how that's like the severity of it though too because i don't think that we can sit back and realize or or truly anticipate 30 years from now what if this doesn't happen and and we talk all the time about habitat manipulation and conservation and and the people who are listening to this podcast right now so that's you right now most likely a private landowner or someone who wants sewers aspiring to be a private landowner you have the responsibility and the the largest land holding capacity in the United States to make the biggest difference, whether it is timber management, whether it is bringing or improving bobwhite quail numbers, rough grouse, it does not matter. Helping it, the monarch butterflies. Yeah. It, you have the same responsibility and the same impact potential to stop or slow down or manage the invasive species issues. Like it is an issue. It is a problem. It is a route it's that we're one going of the down. biggest Ugh. it's one of the biggest not talked about problems out there. Yeah. There's a few a few people who are talking about it a lot. You remember you remember and when And they're probably not hunters. I, I don't know if they're nature enthusiasts. We're we're kinda getting outside of the habitat bounds with this. But I remember this, so it's 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 kind of applicable we're trying to make it as applicable as possible when i was growing up like the divorce rate was like much lower yeah like when someone would get in a divorce it was like holy crap did you hear about that yeah like that was that's something big like they they got a divorce yeah now it's like oh everybody's getting a divorce yeah and it's like kind of same thing with invasives it's like like, 50 percent or something like that yeah it's ridiculous yeah but it's like same thing with invasives. No one's really talking about it that much right now as if it's an issue, but give it 20 years. I think that if we don't do anything They're going to talk about it when it's too late. Exactly. They're going to be like, well, I guess we really should have addressed Automolive. I wish we should have jumped on Bush Honeysuckle. Yep. And and so, for example, let's, let's use some analogies. Let's use some real world what we witness. Yeah. Um, because you don't know what you don't know. I said it on the other podcast. So now you're going to know, okay? We're telling you what we're seeing when we're traveling the country. We've been yeah. in uh, 28, 29 states just in three years, going on our fourth year of consulting. Even before that, we were traveling the country, and we're from different parts of the country. So, And we are plant, tree, nerds. flora, fla- and fauna nerds. So when we drive down the road, a lot of times we're looking at what's growing in the ditches. And I can assure you, most of the time, it's not natives. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And you wonder why a lot of our native species are struggling. We've got native songbirds, native pollinators, native game species, native non-game species. And a lot of the numbers are declining. And and you can say, what well, this, that, predators, blah, 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 all that. It comes down to the fact that we're forcing a lot of animals to try to make a living off of species that they didn't adapt to and evolve with over time. Because these invasive species don't have natural-born predators to keep them in a manageable state. So, so what you're saying is, in that analogy, let's say the plant that we're talking about came from Asia. They the all plant came. came from <laughs> Asia. The no, plant came some from Europe, but. from Asia, but the pest that in its natural community. Yeah. Did not make that same trip, that same voyage, yeah. and so it does not have the natural predators to limit it and yeah. keep it 
at a managed state, and whereas here, it may not be a, a, an invasive species to the same degree in Asia because there are natural predators that are keeping it at bay, or there are, yeah, like, things consume it there. But here in our landscape, where it is a foreign body, it is something out of place, there's nothing here that is limiting it from continuing to spread naturally. Yeah. That's where when there's a foreign body, something wrong, we need to step in and actually do something because the pests aren't here. Yeah, for example, like common milkweed. Yeah. There's little insects that, little aphids and other insects that that will attack common milkweed and they'll consume the leaves consume the leaves yep. and make it to a stress level where it doesn't <clears throat> produce seeds and or it eats the actual seed pod to mm-hmm. where the seed never becomes viable so it controls that from reproducing and making the next generation keeps them in check yep some years the milkweed wins some years the aphid win or the other insects win and there's not as many milkweed seeds okay keeps it manageable in asia they're dealing with some of our native species, and they're invasive species over there because the aphids aren't there. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly making seeds every single year, just pouring them out winning, there. Winning, winning, And it's just winning. like there's no natural predator to keep them in check. Yeah. And I'll go to say this. The answer isn't necessarily, oh, well, let's just go get the predators no. from there and bring them here. No, the issue is the transplanting of, of said species in ecosystems and landscapes where they're not they're yeah. not supposed to be yeah so it no. the, that's where the responsibility then falls on our shoulders yeah fellas ladies i don't know what you believe but this is how we believe and this is the way and that's the way it is as paul harvey says <laughs> yeah. and that's the way it is our creator god almighty put these plants and things in place in a very intricate design and because of a curse things fell apart well and he did it right from the beginning and he did it right from the beginning go read the bible and hear how magical it was pre-curse pre the fall um now he designed it in a very chaotic and amazing way and in my opinion if we take something that was not placed here from the start we're saying, you know what? You did good, but you know what? You could have done better. You missed out on this plant. You should have put it here. And then that plant without any natural predator goes, this is a pretty good place. I, I, I can make some yep. hay here. And before you know it, I can be a top our, seed producer. Our, if, if you look at any ecology or any kind of study in ecology to maximize um, a landscape, you're going to see diversity and a, and, a, and a long list of different things that pro- that provide benefits to a long list of other species. The problem with the non-natives invasives is the fact that they can turn into a monoculture a lot quicker than what our native landscape can do um, and, and can fight that off. So you'll see an old field, a diverse prairie. Let's go with a diverse prairie that's got thousands of species. And you're going to see, you know, you could go out there with a, don't do this. And if you do, <laughs> drink some of that poison. I don't no. know. <laughs> go out with a bag of Cerisa Lespedeza seed and throw it in that. And you can watch as time clicks away, that diverse landscape turned to more of a monoculture of, of Cerisa Lespedeza. 
it's horrible. It's awful. It's 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 causing a decline so, of so species. So let's just real quick break that down. Let's say you have a pasture, and you have it's a warm season native pasture. And you have cattle grazing yeah. it. Cattle are your pest, if you will, quote unquote. That is managing the native grass, so it is consuming. Where, where, where are you going with this, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> it is consuming the yeah. native grass that is Keeping limiting. It in check. The, yeah, yep. lim, limit. Uh, uh, not eliminating, but just keeping in check, and so it may not be producing Go as back much to seed that head. Doctor uh, Mike Chamberlain referring to a turkey poult as a predator. It it's not a predator to a lot of us, a lot of hunters. We don't sure. look at that as a predator. But at the same time, that insect that it's that is getting consumed by those turkey poles looks at it, looks at it just like a a lot of people would look at a gray wolf or a coyote and say, "He's a predator, kill him!" Yeah, he's absolutely. trying to kill me. It's, it's based on perspective. So yeah. to to the grass, cattle is Our a predator. predator. Yeah, but yeah. cattle aren't foraging on cerisa. Or a lot of insects are also. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it could even be a a microbe in the soil that it's affected right. in the roots. So at that point, now we've got. The grasses and the forbs that are getting outcompeted because their natural predator is consuming them, following its natural progression, but it's being overtaken by something that's not natural yeah. that does not have the pests. And the cows looking so at that, looking at that Cerisa lespedisa, going, "I'm not eating that stuff. I don't yeah. know what that is." Hey, and God. so it makes a lot of seed that Cerisa does. That seed scatters out every time that cow nips on the native grass and suppresses it for a little while. That Cerisa's like, hey, or gets, hey, he gets I'm not caught in the cow, the cow's uh, hair, and he yeah. walks down the pasture, spreading the seed. Yeah, never, like it's there's awful. so many different ways that it gets to spread and be prolific on the landscape. But that's the example of we have these species that are here now without the the natural um, predators from their given region. So we have to be that predator. Like yeah. that that falls on our shoulders. And again, if we don't do it, I I know what's going to happen. Yeah. So I know you've what's worked the first job that God ever gave man, caretaker. Yeah. Working the he garden. He called us to be caretaker of the land. It's our responsibility to do it. It's our yeah. responsibility to keep in check. The animals don't have the ability to say, Oh, I'm gonna manage this. Like I don't yeah. like it. It's not supposed to be here. That yeah. falls on knock on, on over on the other guy's door. I understand you're a, a deer who knows how to get things. I need some herbicide <laughs> yeah. over here. I got a yeah. lot of autumn olive. Yeah. I need to take care hey, of. Hey, bro, help me out. Yeah, <laughs> I've been known to locate certain things from time to yeah. time. <laughs> He's a courier. Yeah. He's the guy in jail you don't ever want to talk with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't look him in the eyes. <laughs> so, you know, it, we did the prairie and we did the old field. Now you can look at woodlots. Okay, mm-hmm. you can look at. Oak, big, majestic oak hickory forests that were here from the creation of time. And it's just like, this was amazing. We have these humongous oaks with scattered hickories. And there's some softwood trees in there. There's a lot of diversity. And then um, a suburb pops up or whatever. And somebody plants some bush honeysuckle because oh, oh, it's got a lot oh. of berries and the birds love the berries or, or, or they or they they thin the timber and they logged it and the the forester just came off a job site from a suburban unit and he brought in some bush honeysuckle yeah an autumn olive seed. Or, and he had japanese stilt grass on the and on just the tracks began to sprinkle it and so what property. you'll see or what we are seeing is 
you, you got to look at it from a different from different layers, and we're going horizontal layers. You've got the top of the canopy, and this is oak hickory. This is this is your native species that have been here, and they're producing they're producing the next generation uh, with nuts and with acorns. And so they're trying to once they die off, they're trying to ensure that there's future generations of their species. And then you go to mid story, and you have. Um, the the next generation of trees of oaks and hickories and elms and all these other native species and it all sounds great in theory and, and it's wonderful and that's the way it is and then down at the forest floor you have little seedlings of the next generation of oaks and hickories and different things but then it gets disrupted or even even if no harvest you mentioned harvest second go even yep. no harvest. Oh yeah, doesn't, doesn't, you don't it, have to have it, harvest. It takes some sort of sunlight. Like oaks, a lot of oaks are going to need sunlight to continue to grow and be productive and fill that void. So it may require a lightning strike to kill that big tree to where it opens it up for the next generation to grow. Stone damage. It needs some stone damage, <laughs> and uh, it it ends up. Uh, to where it opens up the canopy, and then in the second generation, the understory tree grows up at the same time that seedling turns into the understory tree. And you get the cycle of, of death and life and death yep. and life. But then these non-natives come in, no natural predator, can grow in much better shade conditions than the oaks can or hickories can. And all of a sudden, our understory is bush honeysuckle or autumn olive. Or autumn olive and bush honeysuckle and Japanese stiltgrass. Yep. And we have two layers, two two generations above that. We've got our oaks and our hickories, both the crop trees and then our understory trees. But guess what? Something causes stone storm storm damage and and uh, lightning strikes or or whatever, an insect, a blight, or something kills those trees. Now our oak hickory forest is a bush honeysuckle thicket, yeah. or a down south a Chinese privet thicket, huh, or absolutely. an autumn olive thicket. And our forest, which was very diverse, has turned into a monoculture of a species that most of our animals and uh, and other species don't even know how to how to work with it. And not even, not not trying to paint like a, a gloom and doom picture, but just being really realistic. You better get spent, on it now. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been in a lot of, um, I grew up on the East Coast, spent a lot of time and a few years of my life managing um, invasive species across kind of the Eastern Seaboard, um, a lot of different military bases, things like that. But I remember distinctly going to several, for, for, for various reasons, let's say, but, but several properties and the future of those properties are never going to look necessarily the same. One, deer density was way too high. And they were consuming all of the vegetation that was native and that had any ounce of palatability or nutrition. And therefore, in an area that has a lot of traffic and a lot of people and a lot of invasives, there was invasives everywhere. And so the complete understory of these forests and these landscapes were completely overtaken by invasives. It, you name it, they were there. We saw them, we treated them, sprayed them. And this just isn't happening in forests. This is happening in fields. Wetlands, this is happening fragmites. in wetlands. This is happening upland sites all over the place. 
So if you care about ducks, if you care about um, turkeys, if you care about quail, if you care about deer, I don't care what it is. If you just care about the landscape, the health of the ecosystem, our planet, especially the United States, you got to care and you got to do something about stinking invasives. The future isn't looking bright if the if the mentality or the mindset is yeah, it ain't that bad. It ain't that bad or <laughs> I'm not going to do anything or it's too late. The too late that just that just ir- is well, irritating. Well, here's the other thing. Yeah. It's too late. They're already here. Suck Wrong. it up. Yeah. Wrong. 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 <laughs> um the other thing is too of well, it's doing something natives couldn't. That one really gets me too because it's oh, like yeah. Name n- name what species you're talking about, and I will find a native species that does it. Yeah, absolutely. But what you're asking a native species to do, like 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 the shrub, Otomala. Well, it can yeah. grow in the understory. Name a name a native that grows in the understory. Well, shrubs don't necessarily like f- okay flowering dogwood, but yeah. um, or a young oak is yeah. doing the same thing. Um, but it's providing benefits to more species, like. Stop caring about the one species, the one game species that we're managing for. Um, it's like a cattle farmer is a cattle farmer is not necessarily a cattle farmer. He's a grass farmer, but he's not necessarily a grass farmer. He's a soil farmer. Yep. He needs the healthiest soil to grow the most grass so he can hold the most cows. If a deer hunter is, I care about the most deer. He's trying to focus on the most vegetation possible. Um, that's a diversity, so it's year-round food, which food and cover. And then look back down to the soil and say, how how can I create a healthier soil so I have I can grow more, more plants, better nutritious plants. Yeah, and it's like I told somebody the other day, if I uh, yesterday is like if you told me you were focused on growing deer on in in his landscape, we jumped covey quail. I'd say okay. Mm-hmm. If you said, hey, I want the most deer possible, I'd say all right, we're managing for quail. I said, and you'd look at me like, no, that's not what I said. And I said, yeah, I heard what you said, but we're managing for quail because we're going to get your goals much quicker and more long-term effects by managing for a species that requires better habitat because um, deer are so adaptive. It's like if I was manage for, managing for quail, I'm going to manage for bees and insects and, and as many insects as possible. And you don't get that by going, eh, they're not that bad, eh. You know, the native species, you know what? They're probably here for, or, I don't know, it's it's too big of a fight. I don't want to tackle or, it. Or the, uh, the other uh, component is, it's, well, my native species, I can't get them to grow because I have too many deer. Well, then the, then the issue is, is not only you have an invasive <laughs> problem, is you have too many deer problems. Yeah. You can solve that. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me that you can't, you can't solve that. That's, that's primo, issue number one. Hope we, for EHD. <laughs> <laughs> we all like to kill deer. Go have yeah. fun. Yeah. Go enjoy the sport. Go manage the deer population. So then you can have some actual natural regeneration. And we talked about it pre-show. Is So you've got this field of, of autumn olives, and you're like, well, I don't know what to do with it. Well, I can't get anything else to grow. Cut them down. Plant your shrubs in and around the canopy of these uh, autumn olives that you've cut uh, and treated. Make them a good thing. Yeah. Now you have a natural utilization cage. Yes. Out, you, maybe you have 50 of them out there. Now you have a great place to get started on natural shrub plant communities that are dotted out among this old field. The deer aren't going to be able to get into the canopy of that dogwood to consume them when they're super young. You've got a great start. Yeah. Don't tell right. me there's not a solution. And you there think is. you think autumn olive grows fast in a field? You know what else grows fast in a field? American plum. 
American Plum. I have a perfect picture yeah. of that. This I was just in Kansas, and the, the gentleman had gone through mechanically just to experiment and mow through some of the gray dogwood um, colonies and see how fast they regenerate. And he's got some. He took them down to the ground with an eco-mulcher, um, just right through some of these things. And um, they are up basically hip high in, in a year, year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> Tell me they don't grow fast. Now, I get, yeah. I get it. They had a root system there, but I also went to another farm right up there and was there last year, a year ago, and um, it had cattle had just recently been pulled off, basically, and it was grass-dominated. Not as nearly as many shrub components to that landscape, but within one year of not having cattle on that property, or a year or two, basically one year of, of successional growth, the amount of shrubs just from that... One year difference, very visual, definitely was heading in the right direction, just allowing allowing succession to take place. You can't, and there's high deer density there. I promise you it's 100 deer square mile or 80 to 100. It's very high, and you're still having that regeneration. Yeah. But they're managing appropriately, and that's the important thing. Yeah. It, you don't just, like... You owe it to yourself. You owe it to the land. You owe it to your neighbor. Your you children. You owe it most to your future generations. Yeah, definitely. It's like here, here, kids. Here's this farm that I let the invasives take over. Yeah. Good luck. Have have fun doing all the work that I didn't do. Yeah. Enjoy. You know, you know, I should have cut those twenty trees, but now you got two hundred to cut. Here's the keys. Yeah. Enjoy it. Yeah. It's like that. That's what you're handing over. What kind mm-hmm. of gift is that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like well, we killed can't. some good deer on it. <laughs> we can't. Yeah, now I got to figure out what to do with the mounts. It's raw. raw yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. What, you leave, you're, they're left with trying to figure out what to do with these mounts. It's what it's I'll probably sad. throw them in the pile of cut cut autumn oh. olive to burn oh. them all together. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh man, it's a, it's incredibly sad, but it's it's one of those things that again I really want to stress this. It's this is just something that has got to be has got to be shared. We talk about controlling and managing invasives. It's not an, a response to anything, but it's just one of those things of we've got to we've got to present facts. We have to present observations that are going to yield results that we know people are looking for. Yeah. And if we don't discuss this, then we're we're just missing a huge window and an opportunity to be able to educate on what the future may look like if we don't begin to actively manage this stuff. Well, and that's a scary, if, if that's you a scary don't, thought. If if we just throw out invasive species and we're like, we're not gonna address that, whatever. It's it's not important. Let's go in and cut some bedding thickets. Cut the bedding thickets. Oh, well, it's guess just what? Grow Five up years autumn it's autumn olive. <laughs> yeah. or, it yeah. starts, and who knows how long until it turns in. Because you let that canopy open up, and you think bush honeysuckle or autumn olive grows great in the shade. Way do you see it grow in the sun? Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, that's great. Let's do some edge feathering. Well, it's all going to grow up. Like, you do the edge feathering perfectly. You lay every tree just exactly the way it needs to Precise. fall. Well, guess what? Now you have an edge that's Chinese privet. Yep. Um, okay, well, let's go and or, or, let's. Or smooth brome. Let's let's something. turn this whole uh, let's turn this crop field into a beautiful diverse prairie, but I'm not going to worry about that Cerise Lespedes over in, over there in the ditch. Wrong. Ten years now we have this beautiful standard diverse Cerise Lespedes. 
diverse, Sarisa? Yeah, that's right. I said that because it's in different growth structures. <laughs> but it's Sarisa Lesbatisa. Still ugly as sin. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what happens when you don't address it. You can do the best work in the world, but it's going to fill back in with the, the worst stuff in the world for it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and truthfully, um, if I could, if I had the solution to maybe, let's say, limit the amount of herbicide that was needed to be able to control it, I would, I'd be for it. Sure. But truthfully, I'm not going to go in and I'm not going to attack invasives without herbicide because I'm going to treat them. I'm going to do it very effectively and I'm going to get rid of it and nip, nip I'm it in the bud. I'm already too old to fight this fight for the rest. Of, I don't want to fight it till the rest of no. till. I'm going to kill it. Yeah. I'm not going to just cut it because cutting does not kill it. I mowing yeah. mowing does not kill it. Prescribed fire does not kill it. Yeah. I'm it going to use herbicide. It only stunts it, and it, with that philosophy, it's only going to stunt it enough to we hope the natives can outcompete it. Yeah. Yeah, or, or or maybe I'm keeping it at bay and limiting its spread, but I'm not a, I'm not killing it. Yeah, herbicide is killing Ugh. it. It's, I it's think. tiring. It's <laughs> yeah. tiring to think about invasive species because it's like we could just do it's it. A, a job. We could do a whole podcast, like launch another podcast, Land and Legacy podcast, and our partner podcast, Invasives Must Die. Yeah, I mean it. It is. A, it's definitely. It's definitely an issue. It's definitely something that's going to be addressed, and it won't be the last time we talk about it because some of the follow up podcasts that we're going to have revolving around invasives is which how to kill them. Which yeah, yeah we're going to address the regions. We're going to give the top four whatever invasives that we see there, and you're going to learn and you're going to know exactly how more than four. We'll probably <laughs> yeah. Have to, yeah, but we're going to learn and and know exactly how to address them. Yes, because so be we have to. Doesn't matter what state you're in, you have care. invasive species that, being once removed, are going to make a more healthy landscape, a more diverse landscape, a more productive landscape, not only for you, but the game species and non game species that live there. And, and let's just real quick think about it. Think about if you're, if even if you're not doing it for the game species, if you're doing it as a farmer or you're doing it as like there's invasive species in pastures, like there's, there's, numerous we got multiple rows we got beefsteak we've got cerisa lespedes all these things impact the productive uh, productiveness of pastures and cattle ground like we that cuts into your income income like we yeah. we got to address it so anyhow hope you guys enjoy it share it with someone if you please share it this is a message it's not cool it's not sexy but it has to be said <laughs> yeah um, it, share although, it with someone who's got some invasive problems. <laughs> yes. So share it with everyone you know, because we all have them for the most we got part. Them. So, and if we don't have them, we'll get them soon. <laughs> and uh, appreciate you guys listening. But wanted to throw out to the virtual property evaluations. Those are um, still active. We've got a lot of people who have been utilizing them. They're fantastic ways to be able to um, spend some time with us on virtual meetings to talk about your property. So if you have questions about that or interested in it, be sure to go to the consultation tab at landlegacy.tv and reach out through that. We will catch you next week.